Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me tell you about Roger Strawn. His career has been spent teaching in schools, colleges, and universities, culminating in his holding the post of reader in education at the University of Reading in the United Kingdom. Specializes in the philosophy of education. He gained an MA degree and a PhD in that subject together with his MA in classics, His university research has led to the writing and editing of many books and articles on issues in education, philosophy, and ethics, and he is a very active member of a number of societies and organizations concerned with psychical and spiritual matters. Roger, welcome to the program. Looking forward to chatting with you, and great job on the medium and the minister. Thank you very much, George. How did you get interested in the afterlife? Good question. Uh, well, I've always been interested in it. Um, it's always puzzled me why more people aren't interested in it. You know, <laughs> it seems to be such an important question. Um, you know, the fact is, whether we like it or not, we're all going to die. Uh, I'm sorry to have to tell you that, but it's true. Oh my gosh, you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> we all have to die, and um, you know, it's going to happen. So what? can we do about that? Do we just push it under the carpet? Do we say, well, okay, can't know anything about that, let's not bother about it? <clears throat> or do we actually ask ourselves what we think might just happen when we do die? Um, because <clears throat> there's really only two possible options. Either it's finished, it's the end, you know, we are just a um, a cocktail of chemicals and um, atoms which is going to disintegrate and that's the end of it. Um, or there might just be something more to it than that. We might just, there might just be a spiritual dimension here to us and to our lives. And um, which of those two options we think is more reasonable um, is going to affect us. It's going to affect our whole view of the world. It's going to affect how we see ourselves, how we see other people. It's going to affect um, how we behave. So it seems to me an extraordinarily important question. And just to push it under the carpet and say, well, I'm not going to think about that, isn't really the, the most rational thing we can do. Our ancients seem, uh, Roger, to have had a better understanding 
of the death process. I mean, there were a couple old works, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. They seem to have a better handle on death than we did. Don't, do you sense that? Yes, definitely. Um, certainly. Um, this modern um, aversion to talking and thinking about death, which, as you say, certainly <clears throat> hasn't always been the case. I mean, all, all spiritual, all the ancient spiritual traditions um, believe it, believed in some form of life after death, so they took well, slightly different um, forms, but they all be- believe it. They all believed it, and that is well, it's not now rather disappeared. I mean, some people will say, "Yes, I'm religious. I believe in life after death." A lot of people will say, "No, I'm not religious. I'm not interested in any of that." In fact, that's not just. <laughs> Mention a very brief story. I, my, the idea for this book first came to me when I was um, doing a book signing at a store for a previous book about um, survival, life after death. Mm-hmm. And um, one shopper came up to me, looked took one look at the book, said, I'm a Christian. I'm not interested in any of that. And rushed straight out of the store. You know, she was afraid she was going to get polluted, I suppose, by looking at, even looking at this right. book. And that made me think, well, there's something funny going on here, you know. Um, can't you be, do you have to be religious, whatever that means, uh, to believe in life after death? You know, there's never, there hasn't been this uh, aversion to thinking about it. Uh, it's been part of people's religious outlook, and wider than that, that whole outlook on life. And there seems to be a distinctive difference between religion and spirituality. People are asked all the time, Roger, that uh, are you religious or are you spiritual? It's really one and the same, I think, but one is a little more organized than the other one, where someone who's spiritual wants to believe in God, someone who's religious believes in God, but it all depends on whether you go to church or not, I think. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's dead right. It's very much a question of language. I mean, as you said earlier, I'm a philosopher, and philosophers are very keen on language. And it's this word, religious, being religious sometimes, that gets in the way, I think. Um, Very often nowadays, uh, being religious, to say you're religious, that, that seems to suggest that you belong to a particular church, an institutional church, Uh, you perhaps regularly attend that church, you um, participate in its practices, its rituals, you accept its doctrines. And that's what, for many people, being religious seems to mean. But of course, it needn't mean that. I mean, it can be, as you say, a much broader broader thing than that. And as you say, this uh, emphasis nowadays on being spiritual, I think spiritual is a bit of a difficult word to get a handle on as well, but even so, it doesn't tie you in to a a particular set of um, doctrines, teachings, if you like, in the same way that being religious seems to do. Do you think dying is much like sleeping in that when you go to sleep, if you don't recall your dreams... You've got eight hours of voidness and darkness, and then you wake up and, you know, you had no idea what happened in those eight hours other than you were out of it. But if you dream, it seems like that life continues even in the dream state. 
and you wake up and remember, wow, that what a dream that was or something. Do you think the afterlife is a little like a dream where it just kind of continues? Yes, I do. Um, <clears throat> I think there are similarities. Um, I don't know whether we're going to talk about <laughs> what it might be like later on, but of course, um, the, um, there's been a lot of research done on what the afterlife might possibly be like. And certainly <clears throat> that research, especially by a chap called Crookall, Robert Crookall, who did some groundbreaking work on this. He's a scientist. He wrote on books on astral projection too, didn't he? That's right, that chap, yeah. yeah. Well, his work, I think, is very much underrated. Very few people know about it, except people like you and me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, he, he did some extraordinary work on this. I mean, he, he's basically, as a scientist, he was a top scientist. He was the, the world authority on fossil fuels, interestingly, before he decided to get interested in, in this question. Uh, and his method was to gather together reports from all sorts of different sources, um, it might be mediums, it might be um, near-death experiences, out-of-the-body experiences, m- mystical experiences, and see what the similarities were. He wasn't, he wasn't concerned with testing each individual one to see if it was reasonable or not. He just put them all together, got this huge um, mountain of data, and said, well, what are the similarities here? <clears throat> what are the dissimilarities? And he found... Um, as you suggested just now, that the immediate uh, stages of death, if you want to call it that, um, is very much like a dream. Um, We don't always, not everybody knows they've died. It may be just a continuation. For most people, he he thought there was a sort of period of rest to sort of recover a bit from the <clears throat> from the trauma of dying, um, and that would last for a different length of period for different different people. For example, interestingly, <clears throat> the the very elderly or people who've been very sick, they seem to rest for a longer period. If you were in your prime of life when you were <clears throat> when you died, th- then it was a much more sudden, instant sort of flick of the um, click of the click of the thumb experience. You, you, you were alive one minute, you were in the last life, in the next life, in the next moment. But um, this first experience, the first experience of the afterlife, was dreamlike in his view, mm-hmm. uh, because in a sense you could make what you wanted of it. Um, you, it was an element of the, the first stages of the afterlife, which were constructed by our minds. Our minds hadn't died. Our body might have died, but our mind hasn't died. And so in that first um, period after death, we were, to, to sort of ease the transition, we were allowed or helped to in, um, create a sort of world that we were happy with. So you get um, lots of stories of people uh, finding a house prepared for them. Mm-hmm, house, that's right. Which, um, Just like uh, they've dreamed, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, even some, some very strange and rather funny um, examples of people who want to carry on doing what they've been doing um, beforehand. Um, for example, <clears throat> there's one lovely example of somebody who says, 
who was a very keen golfer. And he says, um, oh, yeah, I can still play golf here if I want to, um, although I don't seem to want to do it quite so often, you know. Um, so we can carry on doing the things um, in the way that we want to do for a time, just to sort of get us used to this new form of um, living. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Now, in your particular case, what have you concluded about the afterlife, personally? What I concluded, well, firstly, that it definitely exists. (laughs) You know, I personally have no doubt about that. Did you always believe Um, that? I understand why some people, a lot of people, don't want to believe in it. But it seems to me the evidence, and I, you may hear me mention that word evidence quite a bit, because um, I think evidence here is very, very important. Evidence isn't proof. It's not 100%, doesn't give us 100% certainty. But for everything, every important question we have to make up our minds about, we need evidence. And I think the evidence comes from different sources. We've already talked about religious traditions. That's one source. Psychic research is another source. And if you put all this together, it makes a a very, very, very um, powerful case, I think. So I I do think there's a very strong uh, set of reasons, amount of evidence, why we should think there is an afterlife. Um, What it's like is is more difficult. I mean, I think there are indications, as, as Robert Crookle found, and lots of other people have found, there have been lots and lots of reports of what people who are apparently dead are experiencing. And 
I think the one general point which comes out is that it's very much a developmental process. It's stage by stage, and it's going to go on for a very, very long time. If we can talk about time, you know, it's probably a different sort of time, but it's going to be a a developmental process. Um, And I think it's going to be a process of growth as well, growth and development. Um, we're not going to just stay static. This is one of the objections I've always had about, <laughs> against the more orthodox religious views that, you know, we die and that's it. You know, that's the end, that's the right. end of it. It's we are, over. We are taken into God's care um, if we're lucky. If we're not, we're sent somewhere else. Um, and that's our, our fate forever, for eternity. <clears throat> Well, that's not the way life works in, in life itself. We are constantly growing, changing, developing. So it seems to me quite sensible to think that that's what's going to happen in an afterlife. We're going to change. We're going to develop. We're going to go through different modes of consciousness, if you want to put it that way. Um, but what exactly those are, uh, I wouldn't be too um, dogmatic. I wouldn't be at all dogmatic about. When people ask me, Roger... If I believe in the afterlife, and I, of course, tell them yes. I had my doubts. I was telling my prior guest before you came on, uh, I was at a funeral, and I had some doubts whether it exists or not just by looking at the stark dead body. But then I realized it does exist because it was a horrible feeling thinking it doesn't. But when people ask me about the afterlife and why do I believe it, uh, my answer to them is we can't even explain how the universe started. You know, I've done countless programs on the Big Bang Theory and things like that, and I still can't get a a a logical answer from anybody because nobody knows. And and when you add in the afterlife to it, you have to say the same thing. Nobody really knows other than we have more evidence, I think, of the afterlife than we do of the starting of the universe because so many people have witnessed spirits and ghosts and all these they're not all making it up, are they? That's right. That's right. Um, you know, I entirely agree with you again. Um, as a philosopher, you know, we can't, we don't know anything. I think about anything. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> we really we don't. No. Back to language again. Here, <clears throat> we can't know for sure. If by that we mean one hundred percent guaranteed certainty, we haven't got that about anything. Actually, I mean, <clears throat> take a silly example. I'm sitting here. Um, with a with a phone to my ear, thinking I'm talking to you thousands of miles away. Um, I think I know that. I'm pretty certain that I'm doing that, but I might be dreaming. You know, I might be hallucinating. Um, There's always that very small chance that uh, what we think we're sure about isn't actually the case. We can be 99.9% sure of a lot of things, and it's sensible probably to do that. But we can never have that total certainty, I don't think, about anything. Even what scientists tell us is true may turn out in the future to be otherwise. Well, with Roger Strawn, we're talking about his work, The Medium and the Minister. Roger, tell me about the title, which is fascinating, The Medium and the Minister. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, obviously it had to sound good, you know, so we've got the two M's, so I'll admit to that. But, yeah, it seemed to me to sum up these two or two of the main approaches to the possible approaches to thinking about the afterlife, 
<clears throat> the the psychic psychical approach, um, which is represented to some extent, not entirely, but to some extent by mediumship. The medium, the medium is a a fascinating uh, mediumship is a fascinating area, um, and it is one way of um, possibly getting information about an afterlife and getting communication about that. So that's one, as it were, um, one avenue, one road of approach to this question. The minister, the religious minister, uh, I had to, to use the word like minister to, to get, get, get a title that sounded good, but I wanted to com- compare, contrast, uh, put together the psychical and the religious. Uh-huh. Those are the two main approaches, I think, to tackling this question. And actually, quite a bit of the book is is looking at the conflict that has it taken place between those two. There's been a lot of aggro, a lot of uh, a lot of blood spilt actually between the medium, uh, the psychic researcher and religion, the churches, in particular the, um, the Western Church. Uh, and that, that whole story about that conflict is fascinating, actually, because it, it brings up <clears throat> the, the key points where, um, that are at issue here when we're talking about and thinking about the afterlife and whether we might believe in it. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy... Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 